Uh, please be seated. And a very good evening, brothers and sisters. Uh, may I get you to please uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 on page 1165 of the Church Bibles, page 1165. Ephesians 4, uh, looking at the second half of the chapter from verse 17, page 1165 of the Church Bibles. <clears throat> And when you've got that, if I could ask you to turn to the center page of the bulletin. Uh, the center page of the bulletin has got the um, sermon outline, uh, so it would be helpful to have that with you as well. But most importantly, page 1165, Ephesians 4, beginning from verse 17. We've got that. I'll lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, that you are a God who gathers and calls your people. And we thank you that you have gathered us as, as your people this evening around your word. And Father, we thank you that you speak to us uh, by your spirit through your word. And so we pray now that as we uh, consider this passage that uh, your spirit has given us through the Apostle Paul, uh, that you yourself will be speaking to us. Uh, we pray that your spirit will enable me to preach this passage rightly and in his power. Uh, and may he work in each of our hearts uh, may he rebuke us, correct us, train us, encourage us, um, uh, do what is needful uh, in our hearts and lives. Uh, may we respond rightly to Jesus um, and live our lives uh, for him. And so we commit this time to you, Father, uh, asking for your work among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Rolls are something that we all know about. I'm not talking about bread rolls or Rolls Royce. Uh, I talk about roles, R-O-L-E-S. Uh, like in the theater, uh, actors have a role to play. Sometimes they play their role according to the script, uh, and other times they know their character so well they can even ad-lib, responding as the character would. But roles are there in real life as well. In our workplace, we are expected to behave in a professional manner. And when we are sick, we play the sick role, and there's all kinds of expectations that come with that. In our relationships, we play the role of parent or child or spouse or friends or just good friends. And we relate to each other according to that role. We all have a different number of roles. The way we act when we are with our clients might be quite different from when we are with our family. And that changes again from when we are with our peers. Now, sometimes, once people play a role in a group, it's very hard to change it. Because that's how everyone expects you to behave. So you may be the frivolous joker among your friends, and even when you try and change, you find no one takes you seriously. It's only when you move to a new place and you get new friends, you're able to redefine your role. Well, in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is addressing Ephesian Christians who are Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. And Ephesus was a Gentile city. And the roles that were given by their Gentile society, the expectations that were handed down to them since they were young, the lifestyle they lived, they were all like that before they became Christian. But in verse 17 of our passage today, Paul tells them in no uncertain terms that they cannot play the Gentile role anymore. Look what it says. It says, Now I, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. No longer. They're going to have to change. They're going to have to go from playing one character to playing another. 
They're going to take on a new role. Sometimes people think that when the Bible talks this way, it's calling on people to be hypocrites. After all, those whom Paul was writing to were Gentiles. To act as if they are not, to change their characters, isn't that just pretense? Isn't that not being true to themselves? Pretending to be all holy, and then if you dig, dig, dig their past, you see all kinds of unholy behavior. Isn't that just being a fraud? Well, it would be if they were just pretending. But God is not calling us to pretend to be something we are not. He's actually calling us to live consistently with who we are. Not who we naturally are, but who we really are in Christ. Because remember how Paul has told us in the previous chapters about those who believe in Jesus. Once we were dead in sin, following the world, the flesh, the devil, heading for God's wrath. But God in his great love has saved us from that. He has raised us to life in Christ. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. And for all eternity, we will wonder at the amazement of the riches of the grace of God to us. We were saved by God's grace through faith so that we could do those good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, we were Gentiles, but now we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We are part of God's holy people. And friends, if we are in Christ, then we have a whole new identity. And that identity is what really defines us, not anything else. And so it's not hypocritical for the Ephesian Christians, on that matter for us, to play a new role. In fact, it will be hypocritical not to. Before Paul tells us about this new role, he tells us a little bit more about the old one. He tells us that the reason why Gentiles live as they do is because of their thinking. They walk, verse 17, in the futility of their minds. You see, the whole Gentile mindset is actually empty when it comes to spiritual matters. Their worldview is created by the society, by their culture, by their religion, or by themselves. And actually, that is useless because it is not God's point of view. And God's view is what reality truly is. And so they are, in verse 18, darkened in their understanding. They actually don't know God. They're darkened in their understanding. They are, verse 18, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them. Because you see, this darkness, this ignorance, this is a, this is a culpable ignorance. The ignorance is in them, verse 18, again, due to the hardness of their heart. It really is their fault. God reveals himself, but they don't get it. They cannot see the truth because they don't actually want to see the truth. Friends, the Bible tells us that in our sinful state, which is now our natural state, we have hearts that run away from God, not to Him. We suppress the truth about God, which we ought to see and believe. And we even use religion to hide from the living and true God. Gentiles, Paul said, they are ignorant of God because of the hardness of their hearts. And this sinful ignorance can be expressed in different ways by different cultures. Uh, Paul shows the Ephesians how it's working out in the Gentile culture of their day. Verse 19, they have become callous. They, that is, they have lost sensitivity, the capacity to, to feel shame for doing wrong. And therefore, they have 
given themselves up to sensuality. No restraints against plunging into all kinds of sexually depraved activity. In fact, they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity, addicted to it. And they think nothing wrong. Sounds a little bit like today's world, doesn't it? Sex outside of marriage is portrayed in the progressive media as normal. Our friends and colleagues visit prostitutes. People think nothing of casual sex, especially when traveling. Homosexual behavior is celebrated by some parts of society and frowned upon by other parts of society, but actually practiced in both. And some of our communities with the strictest rules about modesty have the highest rates of childhood sexual abuse. The Christians Paul was writing to, they lived in a perverted society. And so do we. The temptation for them and the temptation for us is to simply follow along. And so in verse 20, Paul says very strongly, but that is not the way you learn Christ. That is not the way you learn Christ. The gospel doesn't teach us to blindly follow our culture. The gospel critiques culture, all culture. And we have a new role, not to follow the world, but to follow Christ, whom we learned. Now, what does it mean to learn Christ? You can learn a theory. How do you learn a person? Well, Paul elaborates in verse 21. He starts by saying, assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth that is in Christ. That is, how did they hear about him? Well, they heard about him in the gospel, isn't it? Right, the good news that he is Lord, that he died for their sins, that he rose again. And having received him by receiving the gospel, they were taught in him, they were educated in him, but they weren't just told facts about him. That's vital that they were, but it's only part of it. They were taught, what were they taught? They were taught to put off the old self. They were taught to be like Christ. They were taught to put off the old self, verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And they were taught, in verse 24, to put on the new self. Put off the old self, in verse 22. Put on the new self, in verse 24. Not just to know about Christ, but to be like Christ. Very, very important. But, in between verse 22 and verse 24 is what? Verse 23, isn't it? And verse 23 is key. Because Paul's not just telling them to change their behavior. Before they can change their behavior, they have to change their thinking. And so he wants them in verse 23 to be renewed in the spirit of their minds. Because remember, the Gentile worldview is ignorant of God. And so unless they've seen the world from God's perspective, unless they understand who they are in Christ, their forgiveness, their position, their destiny, the Ephesian Christians will not be able to put on the new self. Only once they've understood their identity are they able to play their new role. And if they do that, then their motivation will come from the inside. Not just from rules and regulations that are placed on their shoulders, but from their heart. And friends, that is the same for us as well. The Bible doesn't just preach morality to us. It doesn't just tell us to be better people. It doesn't just say, oh, be good. It says, 
be renewed in your thinking. Be transformed, not just on the outside, but from the inside out. Be renewed in your mind by understanding Christ. Know that in Christ you've been given every spiritual blessing. Know that in Him you've been chosen and redeemed and forgiven and adopted and sealed. And know the hope that He's called you, the glorious inheritance that you have. Know that you were dead and by His mighty power He's raised you to life and sealed you with Christ. Know that you're included among God's people when you put your trust in Christ, no matter what your background. Know that His death on the cross is what reconciles you to God. Know the fullness of the love of God that is shown you in Jesus, that great, great, great love. Be renewed in your thinking. Know all this and having understood your identity in Christ, then you can, in verse 24, put on the new self. Put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Remember, now you're a new person. You have a new mindset. You can play the new character in the drama of life. And this character has been created not by your efforts to reform yourself. It's actually created by God. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. This new character is a character that's been declared righteous and holy through the truth, the gospel message about Jesus. And this character is created to be righteous and holy in her behavior as well. So now we've got to play this new role, this new character. Now, what's the difference between the old and the new? Right, how should this new person act in very practical day-to-day -day situations? Well, Paul gives us five examples in the last paragraph of the chapter. The first one is in the area of speech, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Right? The old character lied when it was convenient. If it meant getting out of trouble, we were willing to be untruthful. Not anymore. No more lies. Our characters are to speak the truth. We are to speak truthfully to each other, verse 25, for we are members of one another. We must be honest. The second one is how we handle anger. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Our new characters might still get angry. There'll still be things that provoke us. But the difference is, what do we do with it? Do not sin in your anger, Paul says, quoting Psalm 4.4. Don't lose your cool. Don't say things that later you regret. Don't ever stop being loving. And then he says in verse 26 again, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Sort it out or let it go. Don't nurse it. Don't brood over it for days. And so verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give him a foothold, a platform from which he can attack. You see, the devil will always be out to divide us, to stir us up against each other. If we harbor anger and bitterness in our heart, that gives him a chance. Don't do it. The third area in which our new character is different is in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. Now, Paul here is talking about professional thieves who don't do any other work. But actually, it can also apply that to thieves who are professionals. We don't have to be a full-time thief to steal. We steal if we lie on our tax returns. 
We steal if we use pirated DVDs. We steal if we photocopy the whole textbook. We steal if we plagiarize someone else's work. We steal if we take anything that doesn't belong to us for our own purposes. And stealing is not part of our new characters. So we need to stop. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather, verse 28 continues, let him labor. Right? The word there is hard work, it's toil. Right? Stealing might be easier, lah. Right? but work hard. And do honest, good, useful work with your hands, it says. And he doesn't just work to support himself. He works hard, verse 28, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Not giving generously to others. That is the very opposite of stealing from them. And friends, that is, that is our new role. We are to work hard, not so that we can say how great we are or how much we've achieved, but so that we can be generous. Because generosity is part and parcel of the Christian lifestyle. The fourth area where we have a new role is again in the area of speech. Verse 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You see, in our natural sinful state, we are full of evil talk, rotten words. It comes from the heart. Line. We gossip, we complain, we slander, we say things that are unkind, we verbally abuse others, we use vulgar words, we use dirty language, we talk bad about people. And now Paul says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You've got a new character. The old character that used to talk like that, take it off. And the new you is one who uses words to build, not destroy. To serve others, not put them down. To speak the truth in love and so edify God's church. And so only speak, verse 29, what is good for building up as fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. Before speaking, always ask, is it true? Is it loving? Is it helpful in this situation? Is it true? Is it loving? Is it helpful in this situation? We want our words to be a blessing to others. Just recently, I had two different people share with me about changed speech. One of them from our church said before he became a Christian, he was constantly putting people down. All his peers were scared of him because of his tongue. But now, let me tell you, I would never have thought that because he's such a lovely, gentle man. And he tells me all his old friends are so surprised to see how much he's changed. The other one was actually my non-Christian taxi driver who shared with me about a former colleague of his from his previous job. The guy had been very crude in his speech, always using foul language. And then a few years later, my taxi driver met him at a work reunion and found him to be remarkably different. He dug around a little bit to find out what happened. It turned out he'd become a Christian. In fact, he'd become a pastor. Change in role means a change in speech. The fifth thing we're to do differently is to avoid grieving the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people think the Holy Spirit's a force, but the Bible says he's a person, a person who can be grieved. And so in verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. In Isaiah 63, our Old Testament reading, 
Uh, Isaiah reminds people of Israel, they've been saved by God from Egypt. God went with them. He carried them in His love and His mercy. But they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit. And it says, so He turned and became their enemy, and He Himself fought against them instead. So let us take warning from their experience. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, how does one grieve the Holy Spirit? What do you need to avoid if you're not going to grieve the Spirit? Well, the hope keeps on going. And if we see the things listed in verse 31, all bitterness, there's animosity, harbored resentment, that will grieve the Spirit. Wrath, or better here, rage, angry outbursts of someone has lost his temper. Anger, this is like festered anger that's not handled in a righteous way. Clamor, the kind of shouting and brawling that is out of control. Slander, speaking bad things about someone in lies and gossip. Malice, just being nasty, doing things to bring people down. These things grieve the spirit. They don't belong as part of the new way of living. Instead, Paul says in verse 32, be kind to one another. Be kind. Be tender-hearted, which means to be sympathetic, gentle, sensitive to each other. And forgive one another, it says, as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, God forgave us when our debt to him was so big that we could never repay. And he didn't wait until we had repented to do something about our sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He took the first step, and that was so costly. And so when we come to him in repentance and forgiveness, he, uh, repentance and faith, he can freely forgive us. We must be willing to take the first steps to heal relationships, even when actually we are the ones who are wronged. First step may be just to decide not to nurse a grudge. Or it may be to confront the offender with his fault. And if the person who offends us repents, then we must forgive them, even though it hurts. It never says it's going to be easy. It never says there won't be a scar. But forgiveness is a decision. Decide once we've forgiven, we've forgiven. Now, it doesn't mean that we give the person the chance to sin against us in the same way again. And it doesn't mean if they've broken the law, they shouldn't be punished by the authorities. And it doesn't mean that we just can forget about the whole thing. I right? told to forgive, not to forget. But what it does mean is that we don't seek revenge on the person. What it does mean is that we don't nurse that hurt in our hearts and keep on coming back to it. What it does mean is that we don't spread that bitterness to others as well. When we are tempted to nurse that bitterness, what do we do? We remind ourselves, ah, we've already forgiven them. And we choose not to dwell on it. Just like the times, we, you know, we, sometimes we feel guilty for our own sins. That we've already asked God to forgive. And we have to remind ourselves, oh, no, hang on, God's already forgiven me, right? Blood of Christ is covered, so let's not dwell on it. Lah. Same thing lah, for other people. Forgiveness might be hard, but God is not, doing us, not asking us to do anything for him that he hasn't done for us. God forgave us. So we ought to forgive one another. Well, sisters and brothers, if you're a believer, 
then you are a new person in Christ. Fling off the old role that you've been performing. Assassinate the character that you've been playing. Be renewed in your mind through the gospel and put on the new role. Live the new life. Paul summarizes this whole thing uh, in our next passage. We'll just read the first little bit of it in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus loved us so much that he died on the cross to take the penalty of our sin, to take the punishment for everything we've done wrong. He gave himself to us in love. And now he's our role model of love. We follow his example of love. And if we live a life of love, then we won't be foul-mouthed, dirty-talking, vicious, perverted gossips and thieves. We will be gentle and kind and generous and compassionate and forgiving and good. But mind you, mind you, this does not just happen automatically. This requires deliberate, ongoing, conscious effort. Notice how Paul says, put off your old self. He tells them, put on the new self. He says, put away bitterness and malice. These, this is conscious, deliberate actions. He's got to tell them to do it means I need to keep checking with myself in my action and behavior. Hey, is this the old way of doing things or is it the new way? And it means I need to keep deliberately choosing the new role each time until eventually it becomes habitual and ingrained as part of my character. So brothers and sisters, be who you are. Choose to stop playing the old role. Change your mind and start playing the new one. Live like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a new identity in Christ. That you have loved us, that you have saved us, that you have made us your own, that you have raised us to a new life, that you have created us in Christ Jesus to do good works. Please help us to now live that new life that you have given us. And where there are places that we, that we need to change, where there are places we've been still acting the old way and playing the old role, we still need to get out of that old way of doing things and to put on the new, please would you show us? Please would you help us? Please help us to keep on remembering who we are in Christ and therefore choosing to walk in his way. Please help us not to grieve your spirit, but to imitate your son. need your help in all this, Lord. And so we ask for that in Jesus' name.
Amen.